0: Well, good morning. I want to encourage you to go ahead and take your Bibles out if you have them uh, with you this morning and turn with me to the book of Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter 1. We're actually going to be in several passages of Scripture today. Today's message is very countercultural. Some of you here today Are probably not going to agree with everything that is spoken today. Maybe it's because you have your own beliefs and ideologies about life and about the pursuit of happiness or what our government decides what is and what is not marriage. But I will tell you this that my heart is broken. My heart is grieved deeply. Even more than just my heart, though, I believe that God's heart is grieved. The decision on Friday made by the Supreme Court of the United States to lift bans on same-sex marriage is more than just an assault on marriage itself today. It is an all-out assault on the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is a form of persecution that the church faces today. Now, you're not going to see that written in the majority opinion written by Justice Kennedy, and you're not going to see it in the dissenting opinions written by Justices Roberts, Thomas, Scalia, and Alito. However, there is one thing that you will notice, and that is that on both sides of the decision that was made on Friday, there is a distinct absence of any mention of God, His Word, and how He defines marriage. Justice Kennedy stated in his majority opinion, he said, as the state itself makes marriage all the more precious by the significance it attaches to it, exclusion... From that status has the effect of teaching that gays and lesbians are unequal in important aspects, respects. It demeans gays and lesbians for the state to lock them out of a central institution of the nation's society. Same-sex couples, too, may aspire to the transcendent purposes of marriage and seek fulfillment in its highest meaning. And then he goes on to say, and he says, The limitation of marriage... To opposite-sex couples may long have seemed natural and just, but its inconsistency with the central meaning of the fundamental right to marry is now manifest. This is the same justice who, in 2013, when the U.S. Supreme Court struck down, the defense of, struck down key provisions in the Defense of Marriage Act, who asserted in his majority opinion that men and women who voted for the Defense of Marriage Act were acting with the intent to harm. And he painted supporters of marriage, as it has been defined since the beginning of time, he painted them as bigots who sought to demean, disparage, humiliate, and injure same-sex couples. What grieves me even more are the dissenting opinions. While we should all be very concerned about a government that winds up being ruled by the majority of non-Supreme Court justices, and I get the fact that the U.S. Supreme Court justices are in place to uphold our country's most sacred document. However, the dissenters did not do anything to defend marriage and even said as much. Justice Scalia said, The substance, and get this, the substance of today's decree is not of immense personal importance to me. The law can recognize a marriage, whatever sexual attachments and living arrangements it wishes, and can afford them favorable civil consequences. It is not of special importance to me what the law says about marriage. The only dissenting opinion, Justice, who came close to defending marriage was Justice Thomas, who said, since well before 1787, liberty has been understood as freedom from government action, not entitlement to government benefits. The framers created our Constitution to preserve that understanding of liberty, yet the majority invokes our Constitution in the name of a liberty, in quotes, that the framers would not have recognized to the detriment of of the liberty that they sought to protect. Much like the Roe v. Raid decision in the early 70s, the shockwave from this epic decision will be felt throughout generations to come. And it puts the church in the crosshairs for even more persecution. If the dividing line between church and state was unclear, it's not anymore. Yes, the decision made Friday has the potential to cast the church as antiquated, bigoted, intolerant, obsolete, and irrelevant as we stand for the truth. I think what sickens me more to the point of nausea are the... Christians who, like the world, celebrate this decision. Listen, there's no way, there's no way that anybody can read God's Word in the Old Testament and the New Testament and believe that God is okay with same-sex marriage. There's no way. To do so would be an absolute denial of the truth and a gross misinterpretation of the Scripture. When Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome, his letter was in regard to Jesus Christ, who he characterized and he clarified that Jesus was a descendant of David. In other words, he was a man, he was a descendant of David, but yet he was also the son of God. So he was both man and God, 100% man, 100% God, who was also resurrected from the dead. So his letter to Rome was a letter in regard to Jesus Christ and was a call to obedience that comes through faith in Christ. And his letter sounds eerily familiar to our present-day culture. I want you to look with me in Romans chapter 1. And as I read... My prayer for us this morning is that God's Spirit would walk among us, illuminating the Scripture to our hearts and our minds, and showing us the truth and teaching us the truth. Romans 1, verse 18 through 32. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness, the godlessness, and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human being and birds and reptiles and animals. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desire of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God, about God, for a lie, and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts, even their women, exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents they have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God, God's righteousness, and His righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. So, do we dilute the gospel with our American ideologies, opinions, and beliefs? Do we conform to the pattern of this world and, and celebrate this, quote, victory for America with our friends who are gay and light up our homes like rainbows? Do we cry out, love wins, and have this tolerant, non-judgmental, ecumenical approach that ignores the truth and holds up banners saying that God is proud of you? Is marriage... Really all that important? Is there really a problem with redefining marriage? Are we really going to state that it is wrong for a man to marry a man and a woman to marry a woman? The Supreme Court decision on Friday is symptomatic of a greater issue. It's called a vanishing conscience. The vanishing conscience is that which ignores the truth, it denies sin and its consequences, and it eliminates God and His Word from the conversation. And the result of ignoring truth and denying sin and eliminating God from the conversation, it results in a what-is-right-and-what-is-wrong situation where those two things, what is right, what is wrong, become subjective and up for debate and, as we have witnessed in recent days, celebrated. In light of this, what are Christians to do? What are Christians to do? What is the church to do? Number one, we got to recognize the battle lines. we got to recognize the battle lines. First of all, Our battle is not against homosexuals. Our battle is not against the government. Our battle is not against the Supreme Court of the United States. Our battle is not against the LGBT community. Our battle is not against Obama. And with all due respect, Obama, if you ever listen to this podcast, the White House is not your house, it's our house. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 that our struggle... Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, when we understand the battle line, we understand who the enemy is. And it's not the gay person that's to your right and to your left. It's not the adulterer that's In your life, that's not the enemy. When we understand the battle lines, we understand the enemy. The battle lines prove the enemy. And while the battle lines may prove the enemy, the gospel of Jesus Christ determines the tone of our ministry. What the Bible teaches about marriage is timeless and unchanging. In a very recent interview, Piers Morgan had with Pastor Rick Warren. Piers asked Rick Warren this question. He says, Can you see a time when you and other Christian preachers say that everyone has the right to get married, either gay or straight? Rick responded. He said, You know, I I don't think it's going to happen in my time. It won't happen in my life. And then he went on to say this. He said, But Piers... I fear the disapproval of God more than I fear yours. And I will tell you that right now, as your pastor, this is my position, that I will never change my mind on the definition of marriage because God has not changed His. And it doesn't look like He will ever change His position and His definition on marriage. Outrage and panic are not the appropriate responses that we ha- should have for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. It's easy to it's easy to think about what has taken place in our nation and in our culture and it's easy to to feel that outrage and to and to want to judge and to have no mercy towards that because it is an affront to us as Christians. It's an offense. But listen, the offense, you're taking it personally. Not even thinking about the cross. Not even thinking about it. God placed all of his wrath on Jesus on the cross. What makes us think as Christians that we have that same response? We can't. It's not godly. Outrage and panic are not the appropriate responses. Demeaning someone because they're gay is wrong. Demonizing someone because they're sexually immoral is inhumane. Being mean to someone never led anybody to a saving grace. Just ask the woman who was caught in adultery and was about to be stoned by the Pharisees. Just ask her. And when she was down on the ground, on the dirt, and all these guys got these rocks... And they're about to stone her to death. Jesus steps in and says, Hey, any of you guys that has no sin, you go right ahead and throw the first stone. The next thing you hear are rocks against the ground, not against flesh. Do you see the the compassion that, that Jesus has for the woman who was caught in adultery? That's the same compassion that God calls us to. It is a counter cultural response that God is calling the church to today. It doesn't mean that we support it and support the behavior, but it does mean that we will demonstrate Christ to all people, no matter what sin they're caught in. No matter. Therefore, our pledge. Our pledge as believers must be to stand firm and hold fast to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to the teaching that marriage is the chief cornerstone of society and it is designed to unite men and women and children in the power of that gospel. That's what it's for. And to try to redefine marriage to include same-sex unions Strips the moral fabric of what not only our nation was founded on, but it's an assault against this and what God has said and defined as marriage. Therefore, we as the church must live out and defend at all costs with convictions that are communicated with kindness and love. So what are we to do? We've got to recognize the battle lines. Number two. We must repent of our own sin before confronting the sins of other people. We may be grieved, heartbroken, outraged, sickened by the decision to legalize same-sex marriages throughout this nation. We may be offended at the celebrations that we have seen. But before we begin to cast judgment, we must first take a look at our own selves. In Matthew chapter 7. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, before I move on from here, let me explain something to you about this particular passage. This is a passage about accountability. If you have a brother in Christ who is caught in sin, or you have a sister in Christ that is caught in sin, you as a brother or a sister in Christ have every single right and responsibility to go to that person and tell them and confront them of their sin. It is okay to do that. It's biblical. That is Christian living at its finest. But if you do not check yourself at the door about what is taking place in your own life, then you're being hypocritical. If you're trying to judge them, but you're you're dealing with the same thing in your own life, it's not going to work, and it's going to backfire, and it's going to be ugly, and there's going to be conflict. But there's a way in the Scripture that the church deals with the sin of other people, and the sin in my life. There, I ha- Listen, I have men in my life, some of them are sitting in this room, some are on business trips right now traveling, but I have men in my life that have done that and that will do this to me. I'm not above accountability as the pastor. I'm not above it. And they know that they have the freedom to approach me About this. And they can confront me if there is any sin in my life that is flagrant, that is detrimental to my family, to my marriage, to our church. So we must repent of our own sin before we even confront the sins of somebody else. Is homosexuality a sin? Yes. But so is a blatant disregard for the gospel and the sanctity of marriage. You see, God created marriage not just as a means to an end for personal enjoyment, procreation, or sexual pleasure. You see, there is a a greater point to a greater reality when it comes to marriage. You see, at at the moment that Adam and Eve were married under God's officiating God painted a picture on the canvas of human culture that, that presents to the world an illustration of the gospel which is, a, is mysteriously reflected in marriage. If you take your Bibles and turn with me over to the book of Ephesians, we'll have it up on the screen for you. If you, don't have, if you can't get there quickly enough, that's okay. You can follow along. But in Ephesians chapter 5, Starting in verse 21, I want you to to capture the picture that God creates in marriage about Jesus Christ and his relationship to the church and the church and the church's relationship to Jesus Christ. It's a profound picture. Verse 21, Ephesians 5. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives. Submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without sin or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed it, they feed it, and they care for their own body, just as Christ does the church, for we are all members of his body. For this reason, and, and Paul goes all the way back to the very beginning of time when marriage was clearly defined, that for this reason, man a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. David Platt, in his book, Counterculture, he said, The primary reason the gospel is not clear in marriage across our culture is that the gospel has not been clear in marriage across the church. So let's clear it up. Let's clear this up. Husbands, let me speak to you for just a moment. Husbands, you and I, and I want, you to, I want you to grasp the gravity of this. Grasp this. You and I represent Christ to a watching world in the way that we love our wives. Who's the watching world, you ask? It's a good question. The watching world are those little eyes that watch you every single day inside your home, your daughters and your sons. Husbands, if we are harsh with our wives, then we show the world that Christ is harsh with us. Husbands, if we ignore your, our wives, then we demonstrate to the world that Jesus wants nothing to do with his people. If we leave our wives, then we show the world that Jesus is a deserter. Wives, you are in a complementary, non-competitive relationship with your husband. You represent the church and the church's relationship to Christ. If you disrespect your husband, then you show the world that the church has no respect for Christ. If you do not pursue your husband, then you show the world that Christ is not worth following. If you sleep around on your husband then you show the world that Christ is not satisfying enough for his people. Remember who the world is. It's those little eyes that watch you and your spouse every single day. Platt goes on to say, In the picture of marriage, God intends to portray Christ's love for the church and the church's love for Christ on the canvas of Of human culture. And where our marriages have failed, and this is mine included, okay, where our marriages have failed, breed loves included, is in this area of portraying Christ's love and the church's obedience. And it is here that we must repent and be reconciled to God. I realize that my passion may come across as, and I hope it doesn't come across as anger. I'm not angry. I'm broken. I'm broken over my own sin and over the sin in our nation. And I believe that what we were imposed upon on Friday should shock us to the point that we fall to our knees and we beg God for revival, that we beg God for His presence in our church, that we beg God to restore our marriages, to restore our families. I'm not angry that they lit up the White House in rainbow colors, I'm not angry that Delta put up signs along the interstate that says marriage takes flight and it's this big rainbow color of a, of a billboard? I'm not angry about that. Am I broken? Yes. Does it hurt? Yes. But what I'm more hurt and broken over is the fact that I take advantage of the grace of God. That I take it for granted. And the church has taken the grace of God for granted. And it's time, people. I'm telling you, it is time that we that we fall on our knees and that we refortify our marriages, our children, our families, our singleness with prayer. It's time we do that. Last night, as I was wrapping up and just praying through today, and praying for me, praying for you, praying for our church, praying for our nation, I was I was deeply prodded with a sense of God's presence in my home. I was I was I was overcome with his grace and his forgiveness in my own life and I was thankful. I was rejoicing I was I was I was happy I was I was content but along that same line I was hurt over the condition of of our churches today over the marriages in our church and in our communities and in our nation. And I sensed that God was going to do something huge all across this country. And my prayer was that God's Spirit would be like what happened in Acts, the first church, when the Holy Spirit was like a mighty rushing wind that filled the disciples and the apostles and then they went out and they began to preach in, in languages that were not their own but they experienced a mighty move of, of the Spirit and thousands of people came to know Christ through their witness. And so my prayer last night was that we would experience revival. And this morning as I was driving to church to prepare and set up, there was a song that came on by a guy by the name of Christian Stanfield. It's called Come to the Water. It is it is a song about revival. And as I was making my way here, the song was playing, and about halfway through the song, I realized, man, he's talking about revival. and Man, this is, this is nothing but God. I got over on the song, and I hit repeat, and I wanted to hear it again. By the time I got to the church, I'm sitting in my truck, and my hand's raised, and I'm just like, come to the water. Let revival fall. I got out of my truck, and I came in to the door, and my buddy John was standing right here leaning up against the stage and his eyes are just moist and he had his iPhone sitting on the stage and I hear this song playing on his iPhone and I'm going that really sounds like a lot of, that really sounds like that song that I just got done singing. And I was like, are you listening to Come to the Water? And I was like, and and for a moment, it was like God was there preparing us for what he was going to do today. So, shortly thereafter, I'm coming in from the back area. and I walk down here to talk with Britt, and Britt says, Hey, you want to do come to the water at the invitation? (laughs) Yeah. Let's do that. Before we start this song. In John chapter 4. In John chapter 4. Thank you. Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water, and he was talking about the woman at the well who was drawing water from that well, and he said, everybody who drinks your water, woman, they're going to thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them, never thirst again. Never, ever, ever thirst again. So the invitation this morning is this. This is an invitation for prayer. This is an invitation for repentance. And this is an invitation to come to the water. Come and be filled. And experience revival. Revival in our marriages. Revival in our hearts. Revival in our church. That's what this is for. So I want to ask you to stand. And we're going to join together in worship as we sing, come to the water. And as we wrap up and through this song, we're going to have a time where we're going to come and and have a moment and time of prayer. Where we're going to pray for husbands. We're going to pray for daddies. We're going to pray for mamas. We're going to pray for wives. We're going to pray for your children. We're going to pray that God just fills this place with his presence and fills your marriages with his spirit. So let's join and let's sing together. right now we want to take a moment and we want to specifically pray for husbands and fathers. And we want to pray that God would raise up men who are not afraid of the gospel, who are not afraid to love their wives, and who are not afraid to be faithful to their wives. One of the greatest struggles that we have in the country today is being a man. It's being a godly father. It's being a godly husband. It's being that guy who will lay down his life for the bride that he married. It's a tough, tough call that we have as dads. And it's a tough call that we have as husbands. So, right now what I would encourage you to do if you would if you want to come here the altar's open feel free to come and kneel it, and we're going to pray and in just a minute I'm just going to pray over us as our husbands and fathers in this room and thank God for the opportunity that we have to, to be those people and to, and to have that privilege of fatherhood and to have that privilege of, of being married so would you pray with me would you join me in prayer and if, like I said if you want to you feel free to come and in just a minute we're going to have some time where we're going to pray for the women we're going to pray for the children our students so let's pray together Jesus I thank you for the husbands and the and the daddies in this room. I thank you, Father, for the call that you have on our lives. And I pray that we would be strong and courageous. I pray that we would be the men who reflect your heart. I pray that we would be the men who set the example of godliness for our children and for our for our sons and for our daughters. I pray that we would. Be bold and, and courageous in order to stand for the truth based on your word. I pray that we would not be fearful of what other people may think, but God, that we would be countercultural in our marriages, that we would be countercultural in our parenting, that we would be countercultural in our relationships with other people that we would set up boundaries and protection to keep us from making unwise decisions because the days are evil. So God, I I pray that men in this room, if there's an area of their lives that they need to turn from, that they need to repent of, God, I pray they would take care of that today. And that they would experience the grace and the, and the forgiveness that comes from knowing you personally. Father, thank you. Thank you. For the call to be a husband and to be a dad. Thank you that you have given us the, the opportunity to demonstrate Christ and his love for us through our marriages. Father, we love you. We love you. Now we want to pray for the the wives and the mothers in this place. I've asked Lisa to to pray for them. And husbands, I would encourage you to gather around your wife and come lay your hands on her.
1: is just one of the highest callings that you can give us and, and, um, and the ministry of, of being a wife as well God for all of the wives of the children Lord I pray that we would be those submissive, complimentary helpmates to our husbands that you have given us Lord may we look at may we love them. May we love only you first before we love them. And Lord, under that, then, if you've called us to be a mother, oh, what a privilege it is. And yet, uh, at the same time, it can be so hard and difficult. But yet, you thank you for that. I thank you that you give us um, each day, moment by moment, what we need to raise the children that you've blessed us in our home. Lord, that our prayer would be that we raise them back to you, that we teach them your ways. We teach them your principles. That we set the tone in our home to be a place of love, of safety, of grace, of forgiveness, and Lord, in doing that, I know that just as Sister said, Lord, that speaks to those eyes that watch, and even to those outside of our home. May we show that example. May we show what a family unit looks like when we have Christ as the head. How we fall in line, how we help one another, and how even as a family, Lord, give us opportunities to serve other families, to be a blessing to all of the others that we come in contact with. Lord, I pray for protection. For women as I know they struggle with so many of um, uh, uh, just the way you made us Lord with our emotions and our feelings but Lord I pray that we would turn those over to you that we would always keep them in check based on your word and your character that we would fall in love more with you and when we do that we'll be so much um, of a better life a better mother. We'll be able to love it even greater. Lord give us strength in the daily tasks that we have as we run a home or we work a <clears> job uh, just other roles that we fulfill. Lord we just thank you.
0: We thank you. Hmm. We now want to pray for our kids. those that are most dear to those of us that are parents or grandparents. I realize that not everybody has their children here. Some are in different parts of the country dealing with maybe their own struggles and concerns that that they carry And as parents, we may not always know those struggles that they deal with, but we feel it. And I've asked Britt to pray specifically for our children. To undergird them with just a a sense of God's presence and and to help and to pray for us too as parents to raise them in godly homes. So Britt's going to pray for our kids, and if you want to go back, hang hang out with your kids, pray for them. or kids come down this way. We want to pray for you. So, Britt. Oh
1: God, we thank you so much for
0: this time. We pray for the
1: two-
0: As uh, as we continue in the spirit of prayer, I don't fully understand what this is like. But there are people that are single because of maybe a spouse has died. Or maybe there's been a divorce. Or maybe there's never been a marriage there's the desire but it hasn't happened yet and I want to pray for you because I can I can only imagine the challenge that 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 brings and I want you to know that this church loves you loves you deeply And is so grateful for you. And that God has not forgotten you. God has not abandoned you. God is with you. And he will always be with you. So I want to lift you up. And I want to just pray for you right now. So would you pray with me? Father, I do thank you for those that... are single because of either a death or a divorce or just have never married. And Father, I pray that you would give them strength to be pure, to be pure in heart, to be pure in mind, and to pursue you as their spouse. To pursue you as their Lover, to pursue you as the one who brings the most fulfillment, and that the decisions that are made, Father, in their lives, that you would help them to be strong and courageous, that you would empower them with your spirit and your presence to overcome whatever challenges be it financial or relational or emotional, whatever it is in their life that there is that struggle, God, you help them to overcome it. We believe that. So Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for the hope that we have in you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Now, as we wrap up this morning, there's the call to salvation and the call to repentance. Repentance is, some people have defined it and characterized it as something where it's a, it's a U turn. You're going in one direction and you do a U turn. You go in another direction. For some of us, our marriages and our individual lives have been going in a direction that's ungodly, it's not right. And God has been prompting your heart to turn. And to return to Him. I want to encourage you to do that. Repentance is a, a grieving over your sin. It's, a, it's, a, it's more than just remorse. It's, man, my sin has separated me from God. And I'm going to turn and I want to receive His forgiveness. And today that forgiveness is offered to you for free. You don't pay for it. You don't earn it. It's yours. And I want to encourage you to receive Christ today by repenting of your sins and trusting in Him for salvation. If you need Jesus today to bring salvation to your life, today is the day of salvation. Repent and follow. So as we pray this One last time this morning, I want to lead you in a a prayer of repentance. So would you pray with me? Just bow your head, close your eyes. No one looking around. But if the prayer of your heart is that, hey, God has convicted me of this particular sin in my life. I know full well that the direction and the lifestyle that I'm living right this moment does not honor God. And today is the day of salvation for you. I want to encourage you to repent and say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that the way that I'm living does not reflect your leadership in my life. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me and even more, to restore me to a life that you have bought for me with your own blood. Restore me to that life, Jesus. If that's your prayer this morning, I want to encourage you to take those next steps and let's talk about how you can grow in your relationship with Christ, how you can take those next steps out of the current lifestyle that you're in and into a lifestyle of godliness and holiness and purity. We want to help you do that. So as we wrap up this morning, I'm not going to ask you to fill out the next steps card. I think that's a little bit and can be a little bit too easy. But I would ask that if you need to know Jesus today. then step out from where you're at. And let's talk. You Christians, what I would encourage you to do right now, just right where you are, is just to pray. Just pray. But if you need to talk to somebody, today is the day of salvation. I encourage you to receive him and come to the water. It's not my water, because whoever drinks my water is going to thirst again. But whoever drinks Jesus' water, you'll never thirst. You want that water? Come get it. Father, we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for the, the Holy Spirit that has just refreshed our souls since this morning. And God, I pray that as we go out from this place this morning, that we will take that new spirit in our lives and that we will impact this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.